take your Bibles back to Luke chapter number one, if you will. I have been looking forward to Christmas since, well, since last Christmas, pretty much. Uh, December, I take a day off on December 26th and try to detox, and then about December 27th, I wake up ready to go for next Christmas. Uh, love everything about it, especially the gifts. And that's, uh, I, love, I love that Jesus was born, too, but I love the gifts uh, that usually come with, with Christmas. Um, I love. I like the singing. I mean, you like the, the caroling. Does anybody go caroling? We go caroling. We, we went caroling last year at a party. That was kind of nice. Uh, nowadays, uh, you start doing that. People come to the doors with shotguns and things. They're not really sure what you're doing. Uh, we're 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 a less festive generation than uh, those past. Uh, the parties, Christmas parties, Christmas cookies, everything about Christmas. There's really nothing bad. Uh, there's no bad traditions about Christmas. We have. Uh, several of our own, I'm sure you do. But one of the best things about Christmas is the songs. I love the the different Christmas songs that uh, that take that we sing. You don't really get to sing them any other time. We were at a party at the Miracle Mountain Ranch yesterday, and um, they were talking about joy to the world. It's not really a Christmas song, and yet it's the most popular Christmas song. Um, it doesn't talk about the the first coming of Christ. It ca- talks about the second coming. But if we were to sing that in July or February, you'd be like, what are you doing? What, what is this? What, what's the Christmas thing going on? But So you only get a very short amount of time to cram as much Christmas uh, in as, as possible. And then it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in the Constitution somewhere, uh, both in the U.S. and in our church, that it's not allowed to happen again until uh, post-Thanksgiving. But uh, I, I just love it. I love every part of it. I want to make sure we had extra songs today and uh, you know the specials, and and I'm I'm excited about all the other things going on. We have a lot of stuff going on just this month. It's a very busy month, but it always uh, it's always worth it. And just about every single one of those activities involves some sort of singing. And so I was uh, a couple of months back. I was looking for uh, something to uh, something to finish with First John, and and then go on to uh, go on to something. And I wanted to do something with Christmas and. This uh, idea popped out to me. I'd never really paid attention to these uh, little. If you're, if depending on how your Bible is formatted, this the one that I have here doesn't have any uh, extra formatting that would show that this is anything different than the previous verses. But some of them might. They they might uh, indent it a little bit more and show you that that's something. It stands out a little bit more on the page. And if you have a Bible like that, if you peek ahead, you'll see the the next three weeks where we're going to be. Uh, but uh, these are. Uh, what we call the original Christmas songs. There was, uh, think about it, the year before Jesus was born, there was, there was no Christmas. There was no uh, joy to the world. It hadn't been written yet. Uh, there was no silent night. There was no, uh, there was no big event that happened around this time. And uh, I know that it, there's a lot of debate about, you know, well, Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th and all of those things. And, and you know, should we be, uh, doing trees, or should we do Santa or whatever? We're not really going to dive into any of that. We're just going to assume that that, uh, that that you've already figured that out for yourself, and we're going to just take a look at uh, these four songs um, that 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 we're calling the original Christmas, uh, the original Christmas playlist. You have you have a favorite song? You use Amazon Music, or you have your Pandora, and you listen to that, or maybe if you have. Uh, a CD with your favorite Christmas songs on it. We had one, and then it got scratched. 
and it was on my favorite song of that CD where it got scratched, and so I'm listening. I, I put up with all the other songs until I get to that one, and then all of a sudden it skips, and I'm fresh. That, that really tries the Christmas spirit uh, when your favorite song is messed up. How many of you have a favorite Christmas song? Would you raise your hand? You don't have to say what it is, but you have a favorite one. Your ears perk up when you hear it on the radio, or someone sings it at church. You're like, yeah. Uh, unless your favorite Christmas song is not a church Christmas song. It has something to do with uh, some of the other characters that pop up at Christmas. But, uh, you know, we all have our favorite things about Christmas. And no doubt you're planning uh, some of those things as it, uh, as, it, uh, as it unfolds. And so I want to take a look at some of these Christmas songs and, and just point out what they mean and how they, how they refer to Christmas. It all happened uh, right within this, uh, within this uh, short little passage, but it happens within the story of Christmas. It kind of gets overlooked. We, we start with Christmas on the night Jesus was born. But just like with us, we're already in Christmas spirit before Christmas actually comes. There was a lot of festivities. There was a lot of uh, anticipation for Christmas, for the original Christmas in these Christmas songs. So to do that, let's, let me just set the stage a little bit and tell you a little bit about what's going on in Luke chapter 1 prior to verse 46. In fact, next week we'll be uh, in uh, Luke 1 as well, but covering another section of the story, Mary had been visited by an angel who told her that she was going to soon give birth to a baby boy. Indeed, this would be no ordinary baby, for she had been chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. For centuries, these young Jewish girls had known of Isaiah's prophecy, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Mary, just like every other girl in Israel, had grown up hearing this story and many others like it that described the coming of Messiah, the one who would come from God and deliver his people. Messiah was the hope of their deliverance, the one who would restore peace and rest to Israel. Everyone knew that one day he would come and rescue his chosen people from the hands of their enemies. So they waited, longing for that day to come. Of course, No doubt surprised by the angel's visit and confused by his announcement, Mary asked, How can I have a baby if I've never known a man? I'm still a virgin. Keep in mind, nothing like this had ever happened before. There wasn't a a reference for Mary to to go back to. There wasn't a a precedence for her her to look back and, and try to figure out how to respond. And so, innocently, Mary questions how it would be possible for God to do this. The angel explained that then that the baby would be born of the Holy Ghost. And as a sign that nothing was impossible for God, the angel told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth, who was well past childbearing years, was also expecting a baby. We would know him as John the Baptist. Mary went to Judah to see Elizabeth and stayed with her for a few months. As she walked up the driveway or the path to Elizabeth's house, Hearing the sound of Mary's voice as she came, Elizabeth's baby, John, leapt in the womb for joy. In other words, he kicked at hearing the voice of Jesus' mother. Ladies, those of you who are moms, you remember the first time you felt the baby move? You felt the baby kick? We were at Disney World when we first... Well, I didn't feel him move originally. My wife did. Uh, But uh, we were at uh, a little less um, uh, sacred of a moment. We were at the Indiana Jones stunt show. Uh, with all the booming and loud noises going on, our son kicked in, and uh, that was that was a very special time. But 
at uh, hearing, I imagine, I don't know if this was the first time that John kicked in the womb, but he was already making noise about the coming Messiah. As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, she got excited and exclaimed, and we see it in the verses previous to our passage, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knew that the baby that she was going to have was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah and now understood that Mary had been chosen to be the mother to the Son of God. Because even before the angel came to Mary, he had visited Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, who was a priest. We'll look at him next week. And told Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son who would go before the Messiah and prepare the way for him. Elizabeth knew something special was happening and she was a small part of it. And she blessed Mary for believing God's promise. And so as Elizabeth's word spoke to a heart that was mixed with joy and fear, it was full of excitement and uncertainty that comes to every woman the moment she realizes she's going to have a baby. And with the angel's news still ringing in her ears, Mary composes this first Christmas song. It's known as the Magnificat, which means to magnify, because at the very beginning of the song she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because this purpose of this song is to magnify and to praise God. Her song, interesting, I didn't know this until I studied this, that her song is styled after Hannah's song. If you remember 1 Samuel, when Hannah was in the temple praying for a son, she couldn't have a baby, and, and uh, so she went to the temple and was praying and she promised that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to God. Uh, I've always thought that was an interesting story because if a mother showed up here and said, hey, I, I, I made a deal with God that if you let me have a baby, I'd let you take care of him. I wouldn't want to do that. Why didn't Eli stop her and say, God didn't tell me about that. So we're not, take your own kid home and raise your own kid. I, that would be awesome though, right? And like, go to, back down to the church. I don't, I don't want to deal with you right now. Go down to the church, let the, let the priest take care of you. I don't care if you're hungry. Let, you know, go, go have some communion crackers or something down there. Scrounge the kitchen. But the, Mary's song is styled after Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In the song that we're going to look at today, there are three verses to the song. You see it if you're following in your notes. And we'll look at those and then draw an application to ourselves today. Verse 46, we begin verse number one of Mary's song. And this is about the goodness of God. And it's God's goodness to Mary herself. She makes statements such as in verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary recognized that she was no one special in a phrase such as uh, he hath regarded, verse 48, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. She realized that she wasn't anything special and yet God had chosen her to do something very, very special. In other words, Mary was saying, He used me, an unimportant nobody, to do this wonderful thing. She acknowledged that God's using her was an act of His mercy and grace. We don't look at Mary as some spectacular woman that was above the reach of any of, of, any of us today. Uh, we would just see Mary as a very uh, humble, ordinary girl whom God used to do an amazing thing. She says in verse 48, all generations shall call me blessed. Because she saw this as a privilege to give birth to the Messiah. Because she realized that this 
was an incredible blessing from God. And we don't know the exact age uh, of Mary at this time. A lot of a lot of uh, commentaries and, and Bible scholars would would guess that she was somewhat. She was a teenager. She had a cousin who was well past childbearing years. Don't know how old that is. Uh, she could have been. 60 or she could have been 80. We've seen in, in Scripture where God gave a 90-year-old woman a baby. Uh, we don't know how, how that uh, would have played into how old Mary was, but uh, we assume that she was a young, a young girl. We know that she was an unmarried girl. We'll, this will play into where we're going today. But for, she says, for generations to come, people would recognize the part that she played in God's plan. As I read that, as I was studying that this morning, or not this morning, this week, I realized as she said that, not all people would really call her blessed. Think about during that time, during that announcement. Let's go back to uh, that day before, you know, nine months before Christmas. And you know, we live in a small town and we know how news travels. And it travels very quickly. And it travels uh, whether or not you want it to travel. And here's someone trying to keep a secret in a very small town. And this is a very juicy secret. Mary, the unmarried or the engaged teenage girl, is expecting a baby. Can you imagine the whispers? Can you imagine the gossip going around? Joseph says it's not his. Do we believe Joseph? Uh, were, they, were they immoral before they uh, officially were married? Or was Joseph telling the truth and Mary was unfaithful to her betrothed husband, Joseph. What was going on? What's going on uh, behind the closed doors, behind the, the, uh, and at the dinner tables all around uh, Mary's hometown? Uh, certainly not all people are saying, Mary is such a lucky girl. Can you think about all the mothers talking to their teenage daughters during that time saying, they're not saying, can you believe it? Mary was used by God to, be, to birth the Messiah. They're saying, I always knew something was about was about that Mary. She was always a little bit too goody, too goody goody. Uh, and she, you know, hey, let's let's try to figure out what Mary did wrong that we can avoid it in our own lives with our own girls. And and hey, you better not do what Mary did down there. And and, and even I mean, why not just kind of confess and just admit that you did something wrong and and confess? And yet she has to come up with this cockamamie idea that it's of the Holy Ghost. I find it incredibly interesting how they knew that Messiah would come one day from a virgin. Yet, uh, how many people, we know that Joseph didn't believe her. It took an angel visit for Joseph to finally believe her. But let's not be too hard on him. How many of us would believe it? If an angel, uh, if, if, if your fiance came to you and said, um, I want to break some news to you, I'm pregnant. Wait a minute. You knew it wasn't from you. Think about it. I've, I kind of come up with, I think there's two people who knew without a shadow of a doubt, right from the very beginning, that this was of the Holy Ghost. Mary, because she knew that she had not been unfaithful. And Elizabeth, because she had a baby in her womb, and that was a sign that the Messiah was going to come, and she knew right away, as soon as she heard Mary's voice, that's it right there. But Joseph didn't have that reassurance. I wonder how long, we, we see it in just the space of a couple of verses, but I wonder how long it took for Joseph to, to, to digest all of that information and go, all right, Mary's telling me the truth. I, I, I can believe her. It took an angel. It took a heavenly visit. But no one else recorded in Scripture got a visit from an angel that promised that Mary was telling the truth. And all the people in town had to just take Mary's word for it. Think about this. As Joseph didn't divorce Mary, as he did take Mary to be his wife, he was saying, 
one of two things. Either that the baby really was his, and that's what I think that most people took because later on they would say, isn't this the carpenter's son? By, by Joseph taking Mary, continuing on with the marriage, he was admitting, at least in their opinion, yeah, you guys were fooling around a little too soon, and you, uh, you got caught in your sin, and you're doing the honorable thing, and you're marrying her. But Joseph knew, and it's, it wasn't me. It, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to continue because, again, an angel told me to. Yeah, sure, Joseph, sure. Quite a story there. Couldn't, couldn't have thought of anything a little bit more believable than an angel visited you, just like Mary says, an angel visited you. And yet, we know that it was, it was true. And today, we call Mary blessed. What a wonderful privilege. Think about the songs that we sing that include Mary, that yesterday at the party was brought up. That there are no songs about Joseph. Uh, there's no recorded script, uh, words of Joseph in the Scripture. It's all about Mary. It's all about Mom. It's all about Jesus and His mother. Joseph is there, but he just was just there to guide the donkey to Bethlehem. And there was really no other job for Joseph to do that night. Uh, there, it, was all, it was all Mary and, and Jesus. And we, and we sing about songs. We sing about the virgin birth. We sing about uh, the, 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 the mother and child. Uh, but there's not a whole lot going on with with uh, Joseph in that scene. And we, in this day and in this generation, we call Mary blessed. Not that she is uh, above women in any way. Not that she is not. We don't pray to her. We don't, we don't come to Jesus through Mary. You try to get, you know, Jesus will listen to his mama. And so we'll just, we'll just uh, get Mary to, uh, to say something, uh, to, to, you know, put a word in for us to her son Jesus, and that way uh, all can be good and well with us. We don't believe in that, but we do believe that there's something special that happened to Mary, uh, not of her own accord, not because she was worth of anything, and even Mary uh, acknowledges that in those verses. She says there, uh, in verse number 47, uh, she says, God my Savior. Well, if, if, if you're uh, uh, just like everybody else, then I guess you do need a Savior, but if you're above all other people, you don't need a Savior. But then she says later on in verse 48 that she, the lowest state of his handmaiden. So she's got a very humble attitude towards this. And then in maybe, maybe we call it being naive or whatever. She says, all people will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. We're going we're gonna to see why she had that type of a perspective. Mary was looking on the bright side. Everyone is going to rejoice with me. They're going to think I'm so lucky. I imagine as Mary was in her home, she imagined other girls her age in their homes jealous of Mary. They all wish they could be used like this, and probably was the opposite. Verse 49, I love what she says. He that is mighty hath done to me great things. He has done great things to me. She recognized that this was a great thing that God had done to her and through her. Psalm 126, David says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Mary chose to see these events as good things, where it wouldn't be too hard to stretch the mind and see them as problems, as troubles, as negative things. Instead of worrying about who's going to believe me, what's Joseph going to think? We don't see anything like that. 
We don't see any worry from Mary going, well, how am I going to convince Joseph? How am I going to convince everybody in town? I need some type of proof. Angel, I need you to do something to all the people in town to let them know that I'm not a liar. I'm not, I'm not what they say I'm going, I am. And imagine the, that's a stigma that, that probably stayed with Mary her entire life. You had a baby you still won't. I mean, you're, you're a grandmother now, Mary. I mean, she had a bunch of other kids. And you still are holding to that story back then. She didn't have any of that doubt. She didn't have any of that worry expressed. What will Joseph say? She chose to see this as God's goodness in her life. In verse 49, as she ends verse number 1, holy is his name. That, that phrase, holy is his name, uh, David Guzik in his commentary says, to say the Lord is holy is to say that he is completely set apart, that he is unique and not like and not like any other. And so in the Bible, when someone would say uh, that he is holy, being holy means that you are set apart. You're not common. You're not like everything else. And so by saying that God is holy, you're saying God is very unique. He is very different than anything else. Holy is his name. And so Mary, her, 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 her emotions begin to well up as she thinks about how the great things that God has used, um, has done in her and through her. She's about to be a blessing to a whole bunch of people. And everybody's going to be excited for me. And this is going to be awesome. And he's done great things to me. And so she just finishes off verse one with, there's no one like our God. Our God is holy. Our God is unique. He is set apart. There is no one like my God. Then she begins verse number 2 with God's goodness to all people. Verse 50. And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He filled the hungry with good things and the rich He sent away empty. And He's got a lot of different people. She has a lot of different people referred to in this verse. She talks about those who fear Him. She says, to those who fear God, God is merciful to them. And He shows great mercy to them. That is how He's been good to those who fear Him. To those who are weak and those who are lowly, God says He shows His strength with His arm and by scattering the proud. Uh, to those who are poor, He puts down the mighty and exalts the humble. To those who are hungry, He fills them with good things. Sends the rich away empty. He satisfies the longing soul. And filleth the hungry soul with goodness, Psalm 107. This describes a reversal of fortunes. That's what our God does, doesn't He? James tells us that He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and He will exalt you in due time. God likes to reverse the fortunes. Uh, we, uh, that, that verse there about He fills the hungry and He sends the proud away empty. Can you imagine? God is giving out His blessings and here are the proud standing up first in line. I slept here three weeks ago. I got my first place in line and God is going to give me even more. And God says, next, no, nothing for you. Bring the, bring the poor up here. Bring the hungry up here. Bring the people that are in the back of the line that everybody keeps pushing further and further back. Bring them up here and let me give them my blessing. He's describing Mary. Mary, I mean, think about Jesus was born a king to come in the smallest town. In a, in a nondescript, uh, in the middle of the night, everybody is sleeping and it happened with just a handful of people. 
taking notice. And the people who did take notice were the lowest of the low. Uh, an unwed couple looked down on by the people that, that knew them. Uh, shepherds who were looked down on because of their profession, because they were unclean people. And that's it. There were some wise men that traveled from afar, Gentiles traveled from afar that began to make their way to find Jesus. They knew what's going on. Jesus wasn't born in a castle. Jesus wasn't born to the princess. He wasn't born to some, uh, in, in some uh, bright and shining place. He was born in the dark. He was born in the night. He was born in a manger with animals and flies. You think about the most uh, non, uh, the most dirty place you can think of. He was born in the barn. Those of you who have give cows at home, go out to the barn. You get home this afternoon, push one of the cows away from which from from its feeding, and go. Would I put my newborn in that? But that's where the Son of God first laid his head. Because there was nowhere else for him to go. God has taken those who are the most ignored and those who are the most uh, forgotten and said, let me exalt you. You're hungry? Let me fill you. You're oppressed? Let me uh, show my strong arm and I will deliver you. Scattering the proud. Putting down the mighty. And above all, those who fear Him. Being merciful. Jesus' arrival was the ultimate example of coming to those in the greatest need, those who couldn't help themselves. We get to verse number three God's goodness to Israel, or God's goodness to his people. You see, God's goodness to Mary, God's goodness to all people, and now God's goodness to his people. Verse 54 He hath holpen, or just he has helped, his servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. He helped His servant Israel in remembering His mercy. He fulfilled a promise that He had made to Abraham so many years ago, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 17. You can read about that. The promise that God had made to Abraham and to all His descendants saying, I will send someone, the King, He will come through you, and you will be, and in Him you will be blessed and all in you will be blessed because of Him. In this verse also, though, we see God's goodness to us. Christians, as Abraham's seed. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 tells us, Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, three verses down, says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we are mentioned in that verse. As she finishes the song in verse 55, as he spake to our fathers, that's not us, to Abraham and to his seed forever. That's us. I'm there. That's me somewhere in those few letters there. To his seed forever, he was being merciful to me. He was remembering his mercy. Think about it. As God sends the baby to Mary, he is being merciful to those in time past, and he's being merciful all the way up until today. He's being merciful to those of us who didn't exist. And yet he knew we would. And he said, I'm going to send the Messiah because they're going to need him in a big way. Mary chooses to reflect on how good God has been. So how does that, what does that do for me? 
It's more than just a song. It's more than just a something that we do because it's the season. There was no Christmas season to think of in, in the way that we do at this time. And yet Mary's song teaches us a lesson. Like Mary, we should choose to see the goodness of God in our life. It may be shown to you in a very unusual way like it was with Mary. When we think about how good God has been, as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago at the prayer meeting, we were talking about giving thanks in all things. When we give thanks, when we share blessings, maybe sitting around Thanksgiving table, we don't bring up negative things. When we give thanks, we talk about the good things that have happened in our life, and we're thankful for the good things. Ephesians 3.20 tells me to give thanks in all all things in every at every when and for everything give thanks and mary here found herself in a peculiar position she was faced with giving thanks for something that could have been seen as i wish you would have blessed me in a different way god i wish you would have been a little bit it made it a little bit easier why not send a sign to everybody that mary is the virgin just like, remember when Jesus was baptized and the voice came from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? Why not? This is the one I chose to be the mother of Jesus. She is a virgin. She is still pure. And yet she is still carrying the Messiah. This is the one whom the prophets foretold. Isaiah seven fourteen. That's her right there. But no, just silence. And I don't know how long Mary tried to convince people before she just decided to let them think what they will. Sometimes what we see as a trouble or as a mess from God could be a great blessing. Think about Mary again. Being an unmarried expecting mother could have been disastrous back then. She could have been stoned. At the very least, she could have been divorced, tainted goods, never really been able to have that family that she had desired for her life. But yet, she saw that as a good thing. She saw her pregnancy as God's goodness rather than problems. What about us? What about this season stopping for a few moments and taking a look at your situation? I don't know what situation you're in. I know that there's a, we, we, there's a, a mixed bag of circumstances in this room. Some of you are on the highest of mountaintops. Everything is going great. You've got family. You've got money in the bank. You've got nice things. You've got good health. And then there's others of us who are dealing with a bunch of other things. You don't have that good health. You lost someone that was very special to you. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost a good friend. Maybe you, you're just going through a, a, a tough time. Maybe, maybe you doubt. Maybe a, a, a time of trial of some sort. We're all in some sort of set of circumstances right now. And they all come from God. And like Mary, we have a choice. We can look at our situation and see them as problems, see it as a, a big issue that we got to somehow survive, or we can look at it and see God's goodness. Change your perspective and your attitude towards your circumstances. This Christmas season, take time to dwell on God's goodness to you and through you. Think about that. God has done things in your life to be good to you. Can you be honest enough to look back at some of the tough times that you've gone through and see how that has made you better off because of those things? God has been good 
to you, but not only has He been good to us, God has been good through us. And we may never know exactly how great God has been through us until we get to heaven and we see all of the the lives that were influenced because of something that happened to me and I responded to it the right way. This bad thing happened in my life and I could have just given up and walked away, but I didn't. I I stayed strong. I I, I stayed close to the Lord and I saw it as goodness from God and I was was an an example maybe or, or I was a blessing to someone else and one day we might find out, you know what? I watched you go through that thing that you went through. And, 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 and I know you would have never chosen to go through that, but that really was a blessing to me. Think about it. The problem that Mary had to go through was that the Messiah was going, he had to come from somewhere. He had to come through someone. Because if it didn't, where would we be? We wouldn't have a Savior. So Mary's situation she chose to see it as god has been good to me but now all people will be blessed because of something that god did through me god chose used mary to show goodness and mercy not only to her but to many other people even to us today i'll show you one last verse in psalm 27 the psalmist says i had fainted unless i believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, that phrase there, I believed to see the goodness. Sometimes it's a challenge, isn't it? It doesn't come automatically like, ain't God good today? The sun is gone. It's raining outside. I've got a leak in my roof. My car won't start. My dog ran away. My kids are fighting. My wife burned my breakfast. I just got a pink slip. I am fired. God is good. If you met someone like that, you'd be like, you're crazy. You're one of those hyper-spiritual people, aren't you? But that's exact. There's something going on there. God, do these things happen without God knowing? Oh my goodness, I can't believe what's happening in your life. I, I know I control the heavens, but I had no idea that was coming. What if we chose to stop for a moment and say, okay, God, I'm... I'm not going to get all crazy here and jump up and down excited because all of these things. I I, I just got told I have cancer and I'm going to jump up and down for joy. But I am going to stop and think about it for a minute. Wait a minute. What's the good here? Can I find something good? Can I find something worthy of giving thanks to God? Mary could. And if Mary could, I think that we could. You would just stop and at the very least, change your perspective. If I look at it from this way, it looks really bad. It looks really bleak. It's really dark and hopeless and helpless. But if I could stop and somehow just shift my perspective just for a few degrees and see it from another angle, I might begin to see the good things that come along with that. I might begin to be able to give thanks for having... Maybe God brought me through it. I'm thankful it's over, God. I'm thankful I'm past it. But maybe more, I'm thankful that for what you taught me through that. I'm thankful for the peop- for the reminder of the family or the friends that I have that I would have ne- I would have I would have not gotten to witness their incredible uh, support had I not had to go through this. 
we could just change our perspective just a little bit. We have a choice. This Christmas, got all other things going on in our lives. Take a few moments. Step back from your circumstances. Step back from your life and choose to see it as goodness 